0: We are looking at divine conditions for revival. One of those conditions is a desire to repent, to turn from what we are doing and move towards God. We'll talk about that next. And again, welcome to Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard will put us back in God's Word once again, our series called Divine Conditions for Revival. Turning from our wicked ways is the title of today's message. It really is quite simple. If we are to see revival, we must first understand our wicked ways. And not just turn from our wicked ways, but as Paul says in Thessalonians, we need to also turn to someone, mainly the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that further, shall we? Here's Pastor Phil Howard and today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
1: Go to Second Chronicles 7.14. I'm going to do this message and the one next week and uh, rest that text. I started this series on how to get God's attention, the conditions of revival in history. And uh, as I've said before... Uh, Second Chronicles 7:14 is a latch key to the next approximately at least 15 chapters of the rest of the book of Second Chronicles illustrates one way or the other, through the kings, the principles that when the nation drifted from God, God had gave them grace conditions to get back. One, we looked at, Humble yourself. Pride is a killer. To the children of God, they just can't make it with it. Two, pray, and I'm going to save that for next week. We have not looked at that yet. Thirdly, seek God's face, and then today we want to look at turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your wicked ways, and this word turn is the equivalent word of the New Testament word repent has the same idea. It's a key verb. Uh, This verb for turn is the 12th most used verb in the Hebrew Bible. It is a powerful word. Let me tell you something about the word turn. Look at verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, turn from their wicked ways, three things I will do. I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And they literally saw this. Rain came back. Crops came back. Locusts were stayed at the borders. God literally did something for the land of the kings who obeyed this command. Uh, I want to tell you this little word to turn is a loaded word. It's used and translated so many different ways. Shuv is the Hebrew word. And it meant turn, return, restoration. The same word was translated backsliding. It's from the same word turn that you've turned away, which was the backsliding. Turn back. Turn back. That's all he's saying. Turn around. And what is the human problem? All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned to our own way. And so he's saying, turn, turn to God. When you're wrong as a nation, when you're wrong as a people of God, please return to what's right. And we're going to take a little journey. We're going to look at Hezekiah and his great prayer in chapter 30, how he just cast us in on this key term. And then I'm going to take you on a little biblical journey on this concept of turn back, return, repent, how it's used in the Scriptures, and see that it's not an Old Testament. You know, some people only, some of you only have half a Bible. You don't think God said anything in the Old Testament worth reading. Do you ever read your Old Testament? How many read the Old Testament? you get anything out of It's God there. It's all over the place, isn't he? And did you know every book of the Bible talks about Messiah? Jesus is in every book of the Bible. So, good, I'm glad. You get off. You're guilt-free because you read the Old Testament. All these things speak of me, he said in Luke 24. The, the prophet, they're speaking about anywhere you cut the Bible, it e- either says man has the need of a Redeemer has need of grace and the Redeemer's coming and this is what he'll do or he has come and this is what he's done. No matter where you cut it, this whole story is about Jesus. Its theme is about God's glory and bringing a Redeemer and dealing with Israel, covenants, how he includes the Gentiles, but it's all, don't read your Bible without Jesus in the center of it in your thinking. Ask to see Jesus on his pages. Well, uh, let's go and see what the king who really lived this out, in Hezekiah, in chapter 29, he um, comes to the throne of Judah. Uh, he's only 25 years of age. Uh, he restored temple worship. The temple would often be in neglect when they'd backslid. Why go to church when you backslid? Why go to temple? And so it would get in disrepair. They would quit supporting the priesthood. uh, All kinds of problems. And so in the Reformation restoration, he's getting the temple back up. He's getting the priests. A whole bunch of them had not consecrated themselves to offer sacrifices. So they begin to consecrate a bunch of priests. Uh, They're getting their house in order. Uh, In verse 18, they purify the entire temple. They make it fit for worship again. Many times, uh, idols would be brought in, disrepair. You remember, under one king, the law was lost in the temple in Josiah. Uh, And so, he's cleaning house, getting the uh, priesthood dedicated and consecrated again, uh, restored the worship. So, they're going to have a great Passover in chapter 30. And they're rejoicing as a nation in the Passover because that would be neglected also. And so at this great Passover feast, listen to what the great King Hezekiah begins to pray. Verse 6. Now he's invited both Israel and Judah to come to this, the northern tribes, all the way up to Dan, to Beersheba. Come, come. Let's act like a united nation here and come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Some didn't come. Some just made ridicule of his invitation. But listen to what he says in verse 6. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, People of Israel, return to the Lord. Were they in covenant with God? Were they still circumcising their boys? You better believe it. Were they still claiming uh, divine blessing through their relation to Abraham? Absolutely. Were they under a Mosaic covenant? Absolutely. As a covenant people, they had left God. They had the promises, as it happened in history, a remnant. The nation would fall away, and just this remnant in the prophets. But he's saying, return to the Lord. Turn around. Repent change the way you've been treating God and whatever sins you've been in. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Listen to that first plea. It could be more direct. Oh, people of God, return to your God. It sounds paradoxical. People of God, return to your God. They had the priesthood. They had the sacrifices. They had the law. But their hearts were not into it. Turn. Turn back to your God. Notice what he says in verse 7. Do not be like your fathers and brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their fathers, so that he made them an object of horror, as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, Submit to the Lord. It's amazing what generational attitudes we have to throw off. Don't act like your father. Don't act like those who've thrown off God. that have not been the examples they should have been. Don't get in the book of uh, judge's cycle, of backsliding, turning. And every time you get in a pinch, you make an alliance with a foreign power. And then God judges you, and then you repent, and a generation of you serve God, and then you go back. Don't, don't go back to generational patterns of using God, being restored, and then drifting. Don't, don't. Don't let your fathers be your model. Let God's pleading heart be. What does God want from them? Don't be stiff necked. We use the term, don't be hard headed. It's the same meaning. Hard-headed, stubborn, obstinate. Don't be hard for God to teach and to work in your life. Uh, Why why are we as stubborn as the mule? And the psalmist said, train me with your eye. Don't need a bit and bridle like a stubborn animal. I, I don't want to be turned by force. I want God's tender eye to be all he has to do to change me in a room. I grew up with such an earthly father. The eye was enough. Because what followed the eye, you don't want to know about. Just a look. Just a look. And David said, I just want God to train me with his eye, not with a rod. Not with a rod. Don't be stubborn. And he keeps on praying. And here's his plea for restoring them. Lord, help this people to submit to you. Come to the sanctuary which he has consecrated forever serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you if you return to the Lord then your brothers and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will come back to this land for the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate; he will not turn his face from you if you return to him hear me Never has God refused to restore anyone who's ever repented. He has never refused. We will look in the New Testament in two situations where there's no possibility of repentance. It's just, it's over. But no place do we have in the record of God's Word where someone repents of their bad behavior or their cold heart towards God just going away from God, has God refused to restore them in grace? Because see, his character, Hezekiah is casting himself on the character of a gracious, compassionate God. He wants us. He knows we're prone to stray. He knows our backslidings. He knows our obstinance. He knows the stubborn moments we have. But he doesn't want it to be your pattern of life. And so he prays, He will not turn his face from you if you'll turn towards him. What a promise. And God uh, moves and blesses this nation, restores Hezekiah's nation, Judah primarily. And they see a great revival. And like all the kings as a whole, he makes mistakes in his latter days. But there was a great move of God to restore the nation and kept him in power because he uses principle, turn from, turn towards God. I want to share some things with you how that uh, this message is used over and over. Did you know just on the principle of repentance, God spared one of the most wicked cities of the Old Testament at the preaching of Jonah, an entire city repented. Jesus said, Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And what did God do to Nineveh? Spare the entire city. Gentiles, ruthless killers. The Ninevites were famous for capturing a city, decapitating everybody in it, and they would build a pyramid of skulls at the entrance of the city gate and says, this is what you get when you mess with Nineveh. No wonder the prophet didn't want to go there. He hated them. They were great enemies of Israel. God said, go to Nineveh, that wicked city, and preach and tell them to repent or I'm going to destroy the place. And an entire Gentile city was spared. That judgment didn't come to them until the prophet Obadiah. For they turned away and Obadiah says, Nineveh shall fall. Powerful historical revival with a reluctant prophet. Jonah gets no credit. He wanted them all to perish. But his God was greater than his servant. His God was compassionate, even to pagans. It's a powerful thing in history when God moves on the heart of people and we simply say, we're wrong, we're wrong. We're not going to blame. We're wrong. We've done the turning. We're to blame. Once that happens, and there's a turning to God in humility and seeking his face and turning from those things that have distracted us, and God is away from him, God has always revived his people, and he's done the miracle of saving those who have repented at preaching. It's a miracle. Every time you preach a sermon, I preach to saints all the time. So I don't. Uh, I see once in a while one of you might repent, but it's something that this place was loaded with unbelievers, as Nineveh was. And to preach and to see everybody, including the king, get on their face and say, "Oh God, forgive me," this low down, reluctant, disobedient prophet. We could care less, but he brought your message. We're going to repent. And the entire city spared for over a hundred years. You never know what can happen with one message preached to a people. Repent and God will do something for you. That's what he's telling Chronicles. He says, I want every king in the future to know if you'll follow this of what we did at Solomon's temple, I will always restore my backsliding people. What a great, great promise. Uh. I want to take you on a little New Testament journey to see the concept of turning back to God, known as repentance. Repentance, let me give you the word it's metanoia. Nice word. It means to change the mind about one's behavior so as to change the way you live. Mental change that affects the way you're going to. I repent. Whatever I repent about my attitude towards Jesus Christ, our greatest sin. I've never received him or I'm not putting my life at his feet. I repent. I repent about the way I thought, the way we're messed up between the ears. That's your biggest problem is what's going on between your ears. And when truth and the Spirit of God work upon us, he said he found the Gentile mind darkened senseless. And Romans says it's moronic. We became fools when we threw off God. We became a bunch of morons about life, sleeping with animals in Romans 1, casting off what can be known of God. And God said, I will turn you to your gut level lust and you will destroy yourself. We are moronic until we come to God. He restores the mind to what it was meant to do, to acknowledge God in all things and know we're creatures and not creators. This is what happens in saving us. Our minds start being renewed, renewed, renewed. This is a part of regeneration in us. Listen to what he says. John the Baptist, when he came, what did he preach? A baptism of repentance. The nation he's calling back to God. Meet me at Jordan and I'm going to baptize you. And that baptism will say you're willing to repent and change your mind towards God. You've been assimilated among the Gentiles, and you've given up maybe the messianic hope. Come to my preaching. Once coming, once coming, of whose shoes I'm not worthy to even untie. And they repented, and they did the baptism of John. Christ even preached. Repent. Repent. It's, just, it's all over the Bible. I want you to see the first sermon uh, preached to the church. And primarily Israelites were the only ones there in Acts 2. A verse you need to look at because it gets uh, misinterpreted a lot. Are you there? Acts 2. You know God can restore because Peter is the one that's going to preach it. Think of that. Would you want Peter to preach the inaugural address for the church? Well, God did, and he restored him in spite of his failure. And he begins to preach, uh, and I just pick up verse 38. Peter replied, they wanted to know what you need to do to be saved. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. <clears throat> you want to be saved? You want two things? Forgiveness and to receive the Holy Spirit? You need to repent. And then he says, you need to be baptized. Now, uh, This verse uh, is often used by people to say, you're not saved until you're baptized. Two errors have come out of this verse. You have a group known as Jesus only. They deny there's a Father or a Holy Spirit. It's only Jesus. And they're called oneness people. And uh, we're told to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Matthew 28. But here they baptize in the name of Jesus only, so they say it's Jesus only. He is the Godhead. So that error has sprung from this verse. The other error is that you are regenerated based upon repentance, and you must be baptized or you won't be saved. So it has made baptism a saving work. It's known as baptismal regeneration. And you would be amazed at how many groups teach this, more than you would ever imagine if you ever went up on an Internet and just looked up baptismal regeneration. There are millions of Christians who believe this. Uh, Let me say something uh, about this verse that uh, I would uh, maybe translate it like this. Receive the forgiveness of your sins by repenting and to show that you've repented be baptized Because I'll show you that he couldn't have meant you get it by baptism baptism is only an outward sign That you've done a spiritual act but it's not necessary for salvation though It is commanded biblically that all believers be baptized as soon as they can. That is taught unmistakably.
0: That you might grow in Christ and find encouragement in the day-to-day lives that we lead as believers in Christ. It is a challenge to live in a dead and dying world, is it not? Especially knowing heaven awaits us. So it is a delight to be able to come to you on a daily basis and provide you with this encouragement from God's Word as we teach and train and and preach the gospel of Christ for the glory of God and your good. This is Truth For Today, Pastor Phil Howard, taking us to God's Word that we might be mutually edified in grace. If you have questions or comments about the broadcast, maybe you would like to hear the program again. We have a couple of ways that you can reach us. The easiest, of course, is our phone number, 855-833-9864. If you would rather visit our website and work through the website, you can do so, truthfortodayradio.org. A lot of resource materials available there besides our podcasts. You'll also take advantage of the many other resources, books, and materials. It's all at truthfortodayradio.org. You can write to us at 1511 M Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is our zip code. And as we conclude our time today, we would invite you to link arms with us financially and prayerfully. These programs come to you on a daily basis, and even our extended resource materials found at our website are available as you link arms with us, partnering with us financially and prayerfully, whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Please consider how you might come alongside and partner with us as we continue to minister the gospel of Christ to the greater Bay Area. We'd love to hear from you. Here's that phone number once again. 855-833-9864. 855-833-9864. That's eight five five eight three three nine eight six four. And our website, you can securely give a donation there as well, truth for today radio. And then we would also invite you to join us for worship. If you're not involved in a fellowship near you, consider this an official invitation to join us here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. For directions and information, you can visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or, again, call 855-833-9864. And then, would you please mention that you were invited by the radio broadcast to one of our ushers? It would mean a great deal to us. Whether you visit us in person, or simply stop by our website, or listen to us here on the radio, we hope to see you next time we get together. For another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.